On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are chatting with Neil Lumsden about all kinds of things that are going on in the world. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Lots to get to. Let me bring in for the brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio, as we like to call it on Friday. Let me bring in a guy who has been a Vanier Cup champion as a player, a Grey Cup champion as a football player, a coach, a manager, a businessman, an athletics director at a Canadian university at Brock, uh, a contestant with his daughter, Kristen, on The Amazing Race Canada, a father of Olympian, uh, his son, Jesse, an Olympian, many times. Uh, his name is Neil Lumsden. He joins us now. Neil, how are you tonight? Hey, Scott. I'm great. How are you? Uh, I'm fine. I, I'm Every time I start going through this with you, I start to think you probably have to pay extra for your business cards because they need a fold-out. They're like a centerfold business card. It needs a third <laughs> panel. No, none of it's a big deal. I just say, uh, if people ask me about me, I just say, oh, look at my kids. That's all, that's all about my kids. So. Uh, well, you know, that's a good way to do it. Although um, I think other people may say otherwise. Um, wanted to ask you something. We want to get started. We've got a lot of stuff I want to get to today. Yeah. But this this right off the bat, Neil, uh, jumped at me today. Now, I don't think this probably, I don't see you as a guy who spent a lot of time watching much music uh, back in the day. M- maybe I'm wrong. But they announced today that much music, the music station that once upon a time, for those of us who grew up in the 80s, was the channel that was always on. Much music is coming back, not in the same way that it was, uh, but on social media more than anything. And I got thinking, again, maybe you're going to surprise me and say, oh, no, I was an avid electric circus viewer once upon a time back in the day, Friday nights or Saturdays or whenever. I I mean, I with Monica Diol, I sat in front of my TV and I boogied to Monica Diol. But I got thinking, what are the things that you would want from your youth, from your teenage years, your formative years? To come back because well, you know that this music, is one of the as far as music or but anything. anything anything i just because oh this God. again for for a lot of people who grew up in the 80s much music was the soundtrack it was in the background it was just part of their life and now it's back and i don't know who's going to watch it now honestly because it seems like it was a very 80s and 90s thing but what would you want to come back to bring back if you could well I, you know it's funny you say that because it really resonates i was talking to a friend the other day and and uh we we're listening to the radio in the car and uh, the song thriller came on. And I remember it for a lot of reasons, but more because of the video that yep. John Landis produced for Michael Jackson. And then how that, and, and uh, the sounds and how the video made, made a difference for me and how I saw the music and how I felt about the music. So when I hear it now, I hear it and then see it differently in my head than I would if I've only heard it on the radio. So a lot of, a lot of music for me, it brings back fantastic memories. So I'd stick to certain music is what takes me to the memories of what I would want to come back to. And though I wasn't a teenager in the eighties, I certainly, uh, you know, I was in university late seventies and then, uh, you know, into football and other things into the eighties. But, uh, I think it it reminds me of friendships, of doing certain things, mm. of competition. Going back, and um, uh, there's nothing I'd want to relive and say, "Boy, I wish I had another shot at something." Uh, what I what I like to do is think about who I was with, and those are the memories that can live forever. Especially if your friendships stay with you, and you have the opportunity to. And it's not ever with everybody on teams because teams are whether it's hockey or football for me, they're, they're big, large groups of people. But it's always about the people and what those memories, how they connect us hmm. and sort of what made us the same and shared things that were so important to us uh, about, you know, winning, about life, of development. And that's what I look back now and say, I didn't realize it at the time. But what I learned from Don Gilbert, my coach at the University of Ottawa, I didn't know until later. So those are the things that I love to look back on. And if I could go back and be part of those sorts of friendships and relationships again uh, in a heartbeat. Yeah. No, I, by the way, when, when you were playing for the Eskimos, was there a, was there a song they played when you guys in the PA, when you get, when the team scored a touchdown or was there something that when you hear a particular song, it flashes you back to being on the field there? Uh, actually, no. I, the only thing I remember, I never remember the music. I remember the fire truck that went around the outside of the stadium on the track at Commonwealth Stadium. Uh, I remember that. And, of course, it was had 
stamps team and cheerleader people on it. And, and, and it was, it was the signal that we had scored and we, and I don't know if we wore out a couple of sets of tires over the years on that because it went around a lot, but <laughs> no music wise. No, the, the one thing I, <laughs> that jumped into my head is a great cup in Montreal and having played in Montreal a number of times. And I was lucky enough to, all the stadiums were packed in my era of football. I mean, packed. So, at Olympic Stadium, it was what sixty-two thousand fifty. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah. And that we would stand on the field in the in a timeout, and music would be playing, but we couldn't hear it because it was just so flipping loud, and the fans were just rabid. It was it's wonderful, right? Yeah, I, you know what I was thinking about that. And again, I mean, it, it's, this is sort of a much music thing, but more of just the things that we wish that we could somehow get back to in our. In our years, and I'll tell you the one thing, and and I I got I was thinking it made me think about this today, and it's it's sort of an oblique reference. I wish sports was not as perfect. I wish we could go back to when there were mistakes that were made, and sports was not all about analytics, and sports was not all about you know this a coach for every position where it just. I love sports now still, but Neil, it and we got we got to run here, but it just it seems so much more fun. Once upon a time, like it was not quite as much a business. It was not quite as much a multi-million dollar enterprise for everyone. Everybody did not have a nutritionist and a this and a that. You were great athletes playing great sports and it just seemed like it was fun. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's a, maybe that's a false memory that I have because I wasn't the one on the field and I wasn't the one doing all the stuff, but boy, that would be the one thing that when I think of things that I would go back to that, that I would love to see, you know, a a hockey player be able to come down the wing and beat a goalie with a shot. Who's not stopping everything. That kind of, yeah, I totally get that. I understand exactly what you're saying. It's almost become too refined in many ways, which impacts the sport that we're, whatever sport we're talking about in not necessarily a great way. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Today was the beginning of the end, it seems, of the COVID lockdowns. We could start going to a patio to have lunch or to go to stores for non-essential purchases. And apparently the lineups around a lot of stores today were insane. Mm -hmm. Are you feeling normal again now? With this new edict lifted, are you feeling normal? Yep, people running naked in the streets, Scott. That's what's going on. It's uh, it's back to normal, at least where I live. I don't know what happens when you're in your neighborhood, but it's uh, it's crazy in downtown Hamilton. It, I, I guess it is, but I, I have a, for the most part, a relatively positive outlook on things. That things will pass, and we will get through it, and we get better as a result of pressure or issues that we face, but there's something that's sort of scratching the back of my head saying, Hey, look, there's variances out there. Uh, we still have to be very careful. Uh, and with one another, you know, outside of our household. And, and I think that people can't lose sight of that. You just can't go running willy willy nilly. It's a, you know, in, in sport analogy, we, no one's won a championship yet. We're all got, we're all kind of at the semifinal stage, but, you don't go crazy till you win. You maintain your cool and you stay focused on what needs to be done until you win. And I don't think we've won yet uh, as a group of people in Ontario or Canada across the world. I still think we've got work to do. You know, it, it, it interests me the way that people are reacting today. And I did not go out uh, guessing that this was going to be the case. And I'll tell you why. Uh, I had a son who played rep hockey. And when they, when he got to the age where they introduced body checking, because up until then it had been not allowed, but when they were suddenly allowed to body check, they knew that this was an exciting thing that they now had. And so for the first while, all anybody wanted to do was body check. Nobody even wanted to score. We just wanted to go and thump somebody because it's been this illegal thing that we knew it was the, we couldn't do it before. So obviously it must be special because... You know, they told us not to. I kind of look at it the similar way here. They've told us we can't. So now everybody is going to go out and do this because it was the the special thing. Other places, Neil, have, you know, allowed people out way more freely than us and haven't seemed to had a whole lot of problems. And I wonder if keeping things as a uh, an off, uh, something you couldn't touch is going to make things worse now. Because everybody now wants to race out and do those things. And now it means everyone's going to be 
in those places together. Whereas if we had just sort of said, do what you want to do, it, it wouldn't have been an exciting release for people to get out now. Well, and I get the exciting release and I'm with them hundred percent, but if you're going to race anywhere, race and get a shot, then race and get your second shot. If you get the opportunity yeah. and that will allow you to, to, to really open uh, up your mind a little bit and do some of the things that you, we haven't done in so long. Listen, I, I, I feel we are not, you and I have talked about this before. I feel sick for the young people that are out there in schools or, and that have not been in school that haven't experienced the social part of post, whether it's high school and university how it's affected their academics, those young people, the young men and women that are coming out of high school and want to play uh, university sport, how they've been affected. They can't train. There's been no summer sport. I mean, those are the young, those are the people I feel badly for. Uh, and so every time I think about doing things right, I think about getting them back on track. As soon as they are, we will be as well. So it's a, it's a, it's, it's hard not to, I mean, I get it. I, I totally get and understand why people that, who opened up patios were not social distancing and didn't have masks on today. And I saw it. And, and last night, why, and I, you know, maybe 20 years ago, I would have been one of those guys that had gone to a patio last night at one minute after 12, made a reservation at a local place that needs my support, as we all have to do moving forward in restaurants and bars, and spent two hours there. I get it. I totally get it. And I'm with them. But just, you know... Uh, we've got to, we, we have to, you know, it sounds crazy, but we have to be careful. And I'm not one of those guys that is always careful throughout yeah. my life, I, but you know. I just, I wonder how long till we feel normal doing that. Cause even the people who went out today, part of the reason, part of what I'm describing, I think it's because it's exciting and it's new and you feel almost like you're being naughty because you're, you know, you're doing what you know, you <laughs> haven't been allowed to do before. But I wonder how long till we just go to a bar or, or like a patio or go to a, a store and just feel like this is what we do. This is our life. And how long before we don't think, oh, I better wear a mask or, oh, I better stay six feet or, oh, I better this or, oh, I better that. I think we're still a long way from that normal feeling. Yeah. You know, for me, and I talk to, you know, guys that I coach with and I'm going to be coaching at Nelson, fortunately. And when it's fi- football com- finally comes back to me, when I can get on a field with young people and we don't have masks on, we can talk, we can stand in groups. We can coach and teach and make a difference, and, and not everyone's looking around going, oh, geez, should we be doing this? That's when I know things will mm. be back to normal. It's, uh, send me an email, radley at 900chml.com. Do you feel normal yet? And it's a weird word because what's normal, but uh, normal. Do you feel like, you know, when things have started to open today, life is back to the way it was March 12 of 2020 as opposed to oh all the time in between? Let me know. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Justin Trudeau and the other the other leaders of the G7 nations are at a G7 conference in the United Kingdom. And there has been some pushback against the prime minister because when he returns, the story is that he will not be following exactly the same protocols that every other Canadian who would have returned from overseas would have to follow. Uh, Canadians have had to, if they've come back from somewhere, have had to go to one of the government chosen quarantine hotels until they get a negative test and stay there at their own expense. Now, the prime minister apparently is going to be coming back and staying at a hotel, but it's not the kind apparently that the riffraff would have to stay at that have had (laughs) numerous complaints that have had numerous people saying this, these places are horrendous to be in. And my question is this. Should a politician who passes these rules, especially the leader of the country, who puts these rules that are not necessarily popular, should they not go out of their way when they fall into the same category to show they're doing the same thing, just to show that they, the idea they're not above these kind of things and to show that if it's good enough for you, it's good enough for me. I look at this and I think it's a giant PR whiff by the PM not to just do what he expects every other Canadian to do. Well, I mean, he's, number one, he's not like every other Canadian. Have you seen the fl- the plane he flies in? Uh, Clearly, th- there's nothing the same, and to expect the same, I think, is is wishful thinking. I, I do think on the PR side of things that you mentioned, Scott, that there was a way for him to position it and show a little bit more sensitivity and possibly apply the rules to himself 
but not necessarily at the same level. Listen, I, I don't expect him to quarantine the same as I would or you would coming back. I just don't. Um, but I expect him to quarantine. I expect him to follow the rules that have been laid out uh, to, to the nth degree. But I think we get a little carried away. And uh, I mean, frankly, if that's what we're worried about here, where he's staying, uh, let's rip that page out of the book and move on uh, because there are more important things for us to worry about in this country. Uh, I, Neil, I agree to a point, but here's where I don't agree with that, is that we have examples from all political parties across the political spectrum of politicians who pass laws for the little people, but then seem unwilling or incapable of following those rules because they're special. They're special. And I just, I look at this and I think if you are going to pass a regulation, pass a law that is pretty unpopular with a lot of people and puts people in an uncomfortable position and, and costly and everything else, I just, I, I, I fail to understand why so many politicians seem to think they are not subject to the same rules. And it, it creates this, this, this caste system almost where, you know, if you're a politician, you're very special. You know, these rules are for the litter, little people. And, and to me, these are, these are the moments when as a politician, you can, you can show that I'm not above you. I'm just, I'm elected by you, but it, it doesn't make me a king. I, I'm, I, I think it was a terrible mistake for him not to say, I, yeah, you know what? I have to have secret service or whatever security around. And so obviously I'm going to take in a few extra rooms while they're around me and whatever, but I'm going to do what you have to do. Cause that's what I expect of you. Well, they're doing the same thing that other people are having. They're just not doing it in the same kind of conditions and maybe the same luxury. And and on, from the, I agree with you 100 percent. If we're talking about the, the the big picture of politicians, those that snuck down to Florida, both in, from Canada and the United States, those that said we need to do this and this, and then slid away, uh, and then were caught coming back. I, I'm with you 100 percent. Those are the at that level. That leadership is so very important because they're the ones that directly communicate with us. And we rely on them like we would a Doug Ford to stand by what he says and follow the rules. But again, when you're talking about the president of the United States, the prime minister of Canada, uh, I think we're talking at a different level and I'm not offended by it. I'd want him to make sure that he is showing that he is quarantining and showing the rest of the country that he's following the rules. But, you know, if he's not staying in the city motor and just off Plains Road in, in Hamilton, I'm okay with that. That doesn't bother me a bit. And like I said, I, I'm not going to get you know, personally caught up in something like that. Uh, I'm more important. Uh, what's more important to me is what he's doing over there, what's going to happen as a result of him being there, and, and start acting like a prime minister of Canada about how you position our country and, with the rest of the world from a leadership role. That's what's uh, and, important and, to me. And, not and, where he's and to be his head down at night. Well, and to be clear, care. some people are upset that he went over it all and that he traveled internationally. Oh, I'm not that. upset about that. That, that, that is a different, that is a different world, a different scenario. I, I don't have any objection to him going to this conference. I, I think it's ridiculous to say that our prime minister would be the only one to be there on zoom. I, I, I don't buy that. I'm, I'm okay with him going, but Neil, I look, I, I do considering the complaints about the the conditions in these hotels and everything else. And there's been a lot of these complaints. I do think it was important for him to stay in those same conditions, not in a luxury hotel that is special for the prime minister, because a lot of people have complained. This has been a horrible experience for them. And yet the, the government has said, no, you got to do it. Got to do it. We don't, you know, got to do it. I, I think it was important for him to, you know, to stay in those conditions and, and understand those kind of things. I do. I, I think just as, just as we expect, you know, for example, George Bush got hammered years ago for not going down to Hurricane Katrina quickly enough. You've, if you're going to, we, we hammer politicians for not experiencing what the people experience and living that life. I, I think it was important for him to do this. Yeah. To me, that's apples and oranges. I, I, I think that I, I agree with you from a leadership perspective and on the Bush situation, when he needed to be there as the leader of that, that country and and devastation that was being affected and felt by those people. That's a different scenario than quarantining yourself coming back from the, uh, the, G, the G7, I guess, right? So, yeah, again, to me, it's a, if we allow ourselves to get caught up in a lot of the little stuff like this, we're going to forget about what's really important. 
And what's important for me is what I stated earlier, what I think he needs to do if he's going to be the leader of our country. Um, and, and it's where he's, uh, you know, brushing his teeth at night. Doesn't matter to me. Just be a, be a great prime minister and do your damn job and lead this country and be respectful in what you do and how you do it. Uh, I'm, I'm okay moving forward on that platform. We've got to run. And, and by the way, I would say the same thing for any of his liberal, conservative, NDP, Green, any other politician, I would have, by the way, said the same thing. It's not, uh, and I would expect, I would hope that they would. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Neil, let's get into a really difficult one that has been front and center now for, well, it's been front and center for a while, but has seemed to pick up steam again this week and last week. And that's this. What do we do? What do we do these days with statues of people who are now controversial, names of schools that are named after people that are now controversial, uh, names of places, names of streets, names of towns, names. I mean, the the list becomes very long very quickly. What do we do with these things now? Because we have two two schools of thought that are one is digging in entirely and one is tear everything down and start over again. What do we do? It sure is. Uh, to me, it's a slippery slope. Uh, it, it's funny. I was uh, had the good fortune to be on the golf course the other day, and, and the guys I was talking with in our foursome were, you know, uh, a good ten feet apart. By the way, on an ongoing basis throughout the game, <laughs> um, is that it's a it's a slippery slope because if you eliminate everybody and everything, are we eliminating those that were what they had done had been become we become more aware of it because of where we are and do we forget about many of the good things that that person may have done uh, throughout his or her career Uh, i think that one of the best i guess explanations i've heard on this was a bunch of months back and uh, i quite enjoy watching uh, sunday morning the show on cbs and they were talking to a scholar and they were walking around Washington and this, uh, an African, African-American, uh, and, uh, they were talking about the, the interviewer was saying, well, what do we do about this sort of thing? And, and he, he came out and said, look, I tearing everything down is the wrong thing. He said, in some cases, possibly based on what the history is, but we need to learn from this. So instead of, and maybe there are some exceptions, exceptions that some, need to be taken down. But on average, those that are going to come under scrutiny, maybe it's something at the base of the statue and a great display that says, this person also did this, this, and this in, in, the, in his lifetime as part of developing whatever or wherever he sat in politics. And I'm not, I don't want to cite in specifics, but learn from history instead of Xing it out completely, and if we learn from it, and this is this was his point, we become better educated on what had happened. We become smarter in making sure it doesn't happen again, and we don't allow these things to happen again and again and again. Mm. That's the learning process. That's what takes that his that person's history and fixes it moving forward, instead of completely eliminating, saying it didn't happen. And I well, thought that, and you... was, uh, that was pretty. Uh, I thought that was right on the right on the button with respect to the way I was looking at some of the things. You raised a really interesting um, discussion point, I think, and this is real. This is really to me what this debate hinges on. It gets lost in all the screaming right now, but many of the, many of the people whose statues and names and everything are now um, being talked about as being needing to be taken down did bad things certainly bad things by today's sensibilities and today's culture, uh, unquestionably. They also did some good things. And the question is, do we, how do we balance the good and the bad? Does, does doing a bad thing trump and forget, you know, if you don't like Trump, forget the word, but that's, if you, (laughs) does it, does it eclipse all the good things? So if you've done anything bad, does that rub out anything good you did? Or do we have to find some kind of balance and who then becomes the arbiter of where those scales are tipping? And, and so, you know, there are some people, um, you know, who, who you look and you go, you know, some of the stuff they did 
by today's standards is atrocious. Oh, and yet, and yet, some of the things they did was also really good that and helped to build this country. So, who, if they've done, if someone has done anything that we look at now and say that by today's standards and maybe by any time standards is shameful, does that mean anything good they did gets eliminated? Well, it in many ways it seems that way, but I would also like to think, and I give people a lot of credit in some cases, maybe unjustly so, but I'd like I'd like to believe people want to get better and want to learn. On a, in, a, in many ways, not just in their focus, whether it's sports or business, but the history of our country, the history of people that allow me to make up my own mind. Don't force your thoughts and jam them down my throats. Let me come to my own conclusions. They may but be that's dangerous, Neil. Picture. That would be dangerous. That well, would be dangerous to let people decide. I'm being I'm playing the devil's advocate here, but sure. that would be dangerous to let people decide because they may decide the wrong way. No, no, but if if I quote quote wrong, infor- no, but if I inform myself, Scott, and I've come to my own conclusions on what this he or she did or didn't do, um, then you know I'm giving myself the opportunity, as you do in a discussion or an argument with somebody, that at the end of the day we can still shake hands. I might not agree with your opinion, but I respect that you have it. Unless, and I'm not talking the bizarreness of the, of, you know, the Floyd situation and some of the other just what happened in London last year. I mean, I'm not. I'm just talking about general history and what looking back, not what looking at the terrible things that have happened in the last, you know, two to three years. I think we can all come to pretty consistent conclusion on those sorts of things. But talking about the history piece of, of what it represents and who these people were. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Neil, let's continue this for a second. And here's here's where this to me becomes so difficult. Let, let us say for a second that we were to, and I'm not necessarily doing this, but let us say that we were to say, okay, you know what? Um, the statue of Egerton Ryerson, because of his uh, involvement with residential schools, we'll give you that one to take that one down. And Sir John A. Macdonald, despite being the founding father of Canada, because of his past with residential schools and with slavery and racism, we'll, we'll say we'll take those down. Where is the line? Because then you start getting into others. You say, okay, Henry Dundas uh, had, you know, historically um, was involved with, the, there, were, there were accusations in history of slavery. And uh, Joseph Brandt, was historically known to be a slave owner. And we you know, recently there's been a protest in a museum about Picasso being a sexist guy who did horrible things to women, apparently. And Tommy Douglas, uh, you know, I didn't even know this part. Tommy Douglas, uh, one of the beloved figures in Canada, once supported eugenic policies. You read the Canadian Encyclopedia. It says in 1933, he received a Master of Arts in Sociology from McMaster for his thesis, The Problems of the Subnormal Family, in which he recommended eugenic policies, including the sterilization of, quote, mentally defectives. Um, So does Tommy Douglas have to go out of our out of our culture and, 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 you know, where else, where, once you start, where then does the, where does the line move to who, who remains standing or do we have nothing left because everybody has something flawed? How do you, how do you, how do you find where that line is where we f- say, okay, that's too much, but that's okay. I, I think the, the problem or the answer, my answer to the examples you're suggesting are that everyone's line is in a different spot and that's what makes this very difficult. So the Tommy Douglas example that you and I might, and that was the first I'd ever heard of it say, seriously, the guy's nuts. That's nuts. That's crazy. But do, do we have to dismiss him in total? Because but we, in 1933, in 1933, no, was that nuts? Well, but I, I, my guess is, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. I wasn't around. And I no. wish I could ask my dad that, but he's not around. But the, my point is, everybody's lying on everything, Scott, is different. And, the, and, and it's funny, in, in the commercial I was thinking about without trying to be too basic about a lot of these things, is that one of the things that sport taught me at a young age, and I, listen, I had, my mom and dad were great, my family, and I know what, there were some biases in, in our families because I remember thinking back my mom was from the United States, from 
from Wisconsin, and I remember hearing things as a kid uh, that you would never say now if they were always said in jest. And I think, geez, you know, a little bit off-color things, but nothing too heavy. But in sport, I was always, those that are around you, be it for a long time or a short time or a couple of days, you judge them typically on one thing, who they are. I never, I don't think I've ever looked at, and certainly in football, uh, an African-American, an Asian, a Korean, no matter where they were from, and thought about them that way before uh, at all, but only thought about who they were on the field, how did they perform, and what kind of person are you? Can I trust you? Can I count on you? Who are you? And you find those things out in sport probably faster than in any other interaction because there's pressure on you on an ongoing basis. And you find out what people are like when they're under pressure. That's you want to find out their personality and who they are. Put heat on people. That's, who, that's how you find out who people are. So I never looked at them any other way than, hey, you're my teammate. Or, so okay, you're from Pittsburgh. Or you're from Chicago or Saskatchewan. I never saw the color, even back in high school. Um, so I, I, I have a tendency to sit back and look at these things thinking, how could they be saying that about him? How, what is wrong with people? Why are they? I get frustrated by it. And I know my, my perspective and point of view is a pretty simplified one, but it has served me very well with respect to the people I've gotten to know. And you know what? If you're a jerk, you're a jerk. I don't care where you're from or what color you are. I'll call you a jerk. And it has nothing to do with your race or where you live. And so that's how I've always and been brought up to judge people. So um, I, I get frustrated when I see and hear about people drawing conclusions on what they're driving or how they're it, it's, talking. Yeah. It's and, just, and here's, it's so complicated, Neil, because there is not a person alive who has a perfect life. And that no. doesn't mean we, that doesn't mean I don't believe that we just blanch over everything, but let, let's use a very recent example is, um, you know, George Floyd. And George Floyd is now, you know, they have a, in Minneapolis, they have a square now with pictures and George Floyd is the guy that they would hold up. And look, we know the story of George Floyd. We also know that back in 2007, he was involved in an armed robbery where the, the report is that he pointed a gun at a pregnant woman's belly. Now, um, does that mean that George Floyd deserves to die? I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is these are complicated, complicated situations because everybody has things in their life. Some are so outrageous, perhaps, that we say those are no longer acceptable, but there is a moving line. And this is part of what we're talking about right now. And we got to run, unfortunately, but this is part of what we're talking about is where then do you set the line of who is acceptable to have something named after them and who isn't acceptable? Because I think once you start this, like with everything else, and you use the word slippery slope, we're going to start seeing that line moving to less and less acceptance of almost anything. And, you know, you're going to start seeing, now we're going to start finding any fault. And, and so that doesn't mean that we forgive or forget, I guess is the better. We don't forget things. It's just, if someone can, can describe or tell us or define where that line is going to be, I think we can then start to say, okay, let's have that. But I don't know that we know where that line will go. And that's why this thing becomes so difficult. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Neil, let's get into a really tricky one here for a second. We're not going to—it's not going to all be uh, be hefty this hour, but uh, this one is a tricky one, and this one is a really interesting discussion. Read this story in um, the Guardian in England, and it is about a New Zealand weightlifter. Uh, her name is Laurel Hubbard. Now she's 43 years old. Until she was 35 years old, she was a man. She is a transgender athlete. She is now going to make almost certainly New Zealand's weightlifting team in the super heavyweight category. And this is where this story gets very interesting and very controversial. Because until she transitioned to be a woman at 35 years old, she had basically, he at that time, had basically no international acclaim or achievements as a weightlifter. Certainly not one of the best in the world. 
But when he transitioned, she transitioned um, and became a woman. She is now one of the leading content, one of the favorites to medal in Tokyo. And this, of course, has caused many female athletes to say, wait a second, uh, what's going on here? Um, it's being described in some corners as a triumph because she will apparently be the first transgender athlete to compete in the Olympics. Uh, and so that's on one hand being seen as a great thing. On the other, as I say, a lot of female athletes saying, wait a second, this is not right. This is not fair. This is someone who wasn't a world elite contender until she, he switched over to become a, a, a female contender. Here's the question for this one. It, we're not going to get into the, 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 the stuff about this. We're going to get into just simply a question from sports. If she were to win a medal, a gold, silver, or bronze medal in the Olympics, what do you think the result of this becomes? Because it's going to create a huge discussion and it's going to create some issues and some challenges and some people saying, wait a second, is this right? What happens if she were to win a medal? Oh, well, I, I don't know if you can just talk about the winning without talking about why she might win um, given the transition process and what her body originally produced in testosterone and what it still may be to be producing versus what a female's body does. So I, I think when you talk about strength, she has got, well, she's one of the strongest people in the world to go through that first off, make that commitment. And I congratulate her on that and anyone else who does it and makes that commitment and that choice. I think it's fantastic. Uh, when it comes to competing, you know, my, uh, and I thought about this earlier, Scott, I, you know, for the longest time, when you thought about the Olympics, uh, and this goes before the eighties, people always knew that, or some people knew that certainly from a sprinter's perspective, there may be sprinters that are taking steroids and making themselves stronger. So they become faster. And, uh, the Olympic committee was very slow on responding to any of that and have continued to turn a blind, not turn a blind eye to many of the enhanced, uh, subs or substances that enhance performance specifically in males to make them stronger. Uh, you know, the, the synthetic testosterone, which is a steroid. Um, and then, you, you know, if, if they're so behind the times, I think, and have, should have dealt with this as far as regulations. Now, I, I, from what I've read, a little bit that I've read that, uh, she now has to test a year out and do a, do a, whatever the calculation is based on how much testosterone she will have in Correct. her system before Correct. she's allowed. And I think it's 12 months out. And, and if that's right, then, and if she falls within a certain number, whatever that, that rating is, they deem that as being okay. So, it, you know, if, if that's their rules and she falls within the criteria based on what the Olympic committee says and if ruled then that's the way it is folks uh, get in line and compete your butt off against her like you would anyone else but right. i don't think but neil i don't think and you're right about all that that there are certain levels of testosterone and other things that have to be uh kept down to and, and all these other things but if she were to go to tokyo and win a gold or silver or bronze medal I think I think there are an awful lot of female athletes who are looking at this saying almost cheering for her to do well because this will force the conversation and and the discussion because the discussion has always been is there an unfair advantage and the argument has always been no there is no unfair advantage and I think this will end up being the the case that is brought up time and again saying wait a second this was a person who as a as a man had 
really no achievements in the weightlifting world and suddenly became the best or one of the best in the world as a woman. Tell me again that there's no advantage. This will be the test case and the argument case for all the other sports and all the other issues around this. Well, it makes a difference. It does make a difference. I mean, science tells us that just like science proves that those that have taken steroids over the years, even after they stop taking it, they're the beneficiary of what the steroid has done the process of taking it. So you might not be 70% stronger than you were, but you're still 50%. And I can cite a number of occasions and relatively recent where um, Russian athletes have been accused of and have been caught and had their medals taken away. So that's flat out cheating. This isn't something that someone is taking. And But but I think that the competitors are, are going to be I don't know, sour grapes is the wrong word, but think it's an unfair advantage for this gal to be able to compete when she has an advantage physically built in. She, not that she's taking something. This is just, a, this is a result of what she has done in the transition. So, you know, it's, I, I guess for, from a competitive perspective, do I understand if, if this gal wins the gold medal and, someone's real close to, will there be sour grapes? I mean, I guess I understand that, Scott. Don't you? Yeah, I'm not sure that sour grapes would be the right word. I think I think someone who um, who would have been, and there's a, there's a woman, and I, I apologize, I don't know her name, and I really should, um, who uh, up until now, I guess, has been the world champion from Samoa, um, who right, has been right, the yeah. world leader as the super heavyweight weightlifter, is looking at this saying, wait a second, um, what? What's going on here? I, I, I really believe that there are going to be an awful lot of female athletes who have found themselves in a really weird spot here because they, they don't want to be seen as um, not open or not um, progressive or not whatever. But at the same time, they say, yeah, but when someone, you know, I'm all for rights and everything else, but when someone then comes into my sport and brings an advantage, I would, it becomes a, a trickier position for me to take because I don't want to be not understanding, but I also don't know that I'm now competing on a level playing field. You know, it, it, the interesting part about this, there's many interesting parts. I, w- I was having a discussion with someone and the question was raised, do we almost now, because this is such an impossible to navigate minefield of issues, Neil, do we almost need to have the IOC announce we are going to now have men's sports, women's sports, and transgender sports? And and I think that would cause some people to be unhappy. But I don't know how, with some of these other issues, I don't know how you you make people happy or make people believe that it's always going to be a level playing field. I don't know. These are, I mean, Scott, it's like uh, everything in life. There's, there's always going to be people that are not happy with what a, a specific person's decisions and how it results and affects other people. It's on a day-to-day basis. So that's natural. That, I mean, to see that happen to me is very natural, but when in a level of, in competition, when you're supposed to be some equal in many ways, that bomb was blown up years ago. The thing that, that I find frustrating to look at this is all those out there that had cheated for many, many years taking steroids, and because of the transition, this girl now has got a built-in advantage that she didn't ask for. It just is there. Um, and she's go- if she is going to be tested, then the IOC says, okay, but if she falls within the criteria of test the testosterone the testosterone test and it's okay to compete then everyone should say if that's the rule then let her go compete because if that's the standard that has been set that's the standard we got to live with it and and if she does and, then, and again uh, the measurement calculus i have no clue i'd have to go back to school for five years to even come close to yeah. figuring that out but the reality is if there is a standard set by the ioc for this kind of situation and she passes or falls within it, then let's move on. It, it is, it, see, and this is even trickier. And, and here, here's, here's how difficult this situation is because we had 
the case for a number of years of uh, people may remember the story of the South African middle distance runner, Castro Semenya, who was a, a woman, but she also had, um, uh, I, I don't want to misspeak, but there were, she had extraordinarily high testosterone levels naturally occurring by everything we heard. And she would blow away the field and women were complaining that this is not fair and that was someone who, by definition, was supposed to be competing and always would have been competing in that female category. And that, Neil, was a a minefield for track and field and for the IOC for the longest time. And now you're adding another level of difficulty and, and, and other issues to this. I don't know. I don't know how you're going to... I don't know how the IOC is going to navigate this. And if it just happens that this is one particular case, it's it's not going to be much comfort to the person from Samoa or someone who would say, look, I, I've, I've now lost out on a gold medal unfairly, whether or not that's true. But if it starts happening more, I mean, look, when, when the Blade Runner, Oster Pistorius got in, mm-hmm. we wondered if this was going to be the start of people using blades and other things in sports. We haven't really seen that happen. So maybe this is a one-off and it never happens again and the discussion goes away. But if it starts happening more commonly, they are going to have to find some answer for this. And I don't know, I have no idea what that answer is. No, I like you and it is going to happen. And I don't know how frequent it will be because people I don't believe will make a decision to transition just to compete in the Olympics. Uh, it's, a, it's a much more complicated, detailed process mentally physically emotionally so i'm not thinking in those terms that people are going to use this and take it as an advantage if i transition but but the ioc once again who i i haven't got a whole lot of faith in need to get in front of these things and they haven't done it and if they had been on their toes with respect to international competition uh, this woman's been just didn't start to compete she's been doing it for years uh, the transition, I think she was in her mid-30s. She's now 43, correct? Yes, yes. Something like that. So, if they, Which is actually past the prime for most ab- people in athletics. Absolutely. And even though that in the, before transitioning, there were, sh- she competed in weightlifting in the men's division and wasn't that successful, doesn't matter because it, as soon as she did transition, She should have been on the radar for the IOC to look at this is going to be potentially have to, we'll have to come up with some regulation and bylaw to deal with this situation that's going to continue to grow. It's part of what we are in sport and we have to have answers. And once again, they just kick the can around and they don't come to any conclusions or decisions, just like they've been panty waste for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. On the steroid issue. It's and Neil, laughable. that's why that's why I'm not convinced that this will be a one-off. And I'll tell you why. And you said, you know, like no one's going to transition just to compete in the Olympics. I, I agree with you in democratic countries. I don't think anyone in the States or in Canada is going to suddenly say, you know what, if I just become a woman, look at what I can do in sports. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. However, we have seen other countries that are not so free that don't have the democratic principles that we have go back to the seventies with East Germany, where athletes were plucked from their homes and told you are going to take these steroids and become machines. We've seen other countries where athletes don't have the same, where winning medals would cause a country to systematically as a country cheat. Is it, is this the new, thing that we can do that we can look if we just get some of our like it sounds crazy it sounds crazy to say some country would force someone to compete as a woman but i would have thought that some of the things that i've heard from countries cheating sounded crazy until i heard about it well it's not so much that they would compete as women it's how about the women who were competing that were forced to take enhanced yes uh, yes to perform that would that in fact did change their bodies for periods of time. You could see it uh, in swimmers. You could see it in track athletes. And, and you're right. Uh, I mean, and again, I'm going to go back to what I said before. I don't believe the IOC still got their hands around the neck of the chicken and this whole steroid or 
it's not even steroids anymore. It's so many other things that build or, or build strength, enhance speed, strength, conditioning, ability to condition longer, the ability to work out more. Uh, it's I don't think that's been settled properly either. So, no, I, I this is going to be an issue. Like I, I think that we are going to see. I don't know when. I don't know if it's going to be Tokyo, and, and I may be dead wrong, but I think that there are certain countries. And we know probably we can guess who they are based on past cheating. We we could, it, it's not out of the realm of possibility that this could be a loophole to win more medals. And 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 uh, we're not even talking about people who are doing this legitimately for legitimate reasons that they, you know, that they are transitioning as a, as, you know, because they want to. And I think the IOC, they better get some answers or, or figure this out or know what the, what the answer is going to be. Because, I, I, again, we go back to this beginning one. If this, if this weightlifter from New Zealand were to do exceptionally well at the Olympics, I think there is going to be a very loud, very broad discussion about, is this working? And the IOC better have some... If the answer is we're fine with this. It's exactly what we want and we're not going to tinker with it. That's their answer. That's okay. But they better be ready because I, I don't think it's, I don't think this will be the last time. Well, uh, there's one thing I am sure of. They will not be ready because they're, they are not as finely tuned as the athletes that compete in the Olympic games. They aren't even close when it comes to getting ahead of sport and making sure that things are done correctly and properly throughout on a consistent basis. I have no faith whatsoever. It's a, uh, it is truly an interesting one. Again, you can go read the story and, and you will, you will, you know, read all about the controversy. There is huge, we don't, we don't see it as much here because it's not a Canadian or American athlete and certainly super heavyweight weightlifting is not number one in North Americans taste necessarily in, in big time sports. So we have not heard as much about it, uh, but you can go read about it. The, her name is Laurel Hubbard. And there is huge controversy around the world swirling about this right now about what to do what should be done, what shouldn't be done, what happens if it's it's a it's a fascinating story, and uh, I'm I'm guessing, and Neil, we got to run. Unfortunately, I'm guessing that if what happens is what some people say is going to happen, which is that she wins a medal, uh, this is going to be something that we are hearing an awful lot of, an awful lot of discussion about uh, down the road, and. You know, and, and here's where this, unfortunately, what's really going to happen is this is going to end up being like so many other things. We started talking about this off the top of the show or near the top of the show, like everything else, it's going to end up being screaming and insults and everything else. And we're not going to be able to have a mature discussion. And I don't know the IOC is going to help make that mature discussion happen because they'll, as you say, kind of probably be in the mushy middle and not really have a good answer. So who knows? Yeah, it's not going away. You're right. Uh, Neil Lumsden, listen, we always love having you on. Really uh, appreciate you doing this today. Thanks for taking the time, and uh, we will do this again soon. I enjoyed it as always, Scott. Thank you. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.